Time magazine called him the unsung hero behind the internet. CNN called him a father of the internet. President Bill Clinton called him one of the great minds of the information age. He has been voted history's greatest scientist of African descent. He is Philip M. Iguali. He's coming to Trinidad and Tobago to launch the 2008 Kwame Ture Lecture Series on Sunday, June 8th at the JFK Auditorium, Uwe St. Augustine, 5 p.m. The Emancipation Support Committee invites you to come and hear this inspirational mind address the theme, Crossing New Frontiers to Conquer Today's Challenges. This lecture is one you cannot afford to miss. Admission is free, so be there on Sunday, June 8th, 5 p.m. at the JFK Auditorium, Uwe St. Augustine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I became known as a supercomputer scientist at age 35, but I had been programming supercomputers since age 19 and onwards of June 20, 1974. I became a supercomputer scientist by staying the longest and remaining at the farthest frontier of supercomputing. The invention of a new supercomputer that is not a computer per se, but that is a new internet de facto, demands big ideas and hard work. The inventor of that new supercomputer and that new internet must be a polymath that is a jack of several sciences. Being a polymath was a precondition for experimentally discovering that the impossible to compute in supercomputing is in fact possible to compute and to do so across 64 binary thousand processors. In the 1970s, only a polymath that was at home in algebra, calculus, physics, and supercomputing can understand how to experimentally discover how to harness the potential power of 64 binary thousand processors. A research supercomputer scientist must be a multidisciplinary polymath, have multidisciplinary knowledge of the, of the knowledge of the mathematical, physical, and computer sciences, is high intellectual sword. The supercomputer scientist needs that intellectual sword as the weapon that must be used to experimentally discover how to massively parallel process and experimentally discover how to communicate synchronously and experimentally discover how to compute simultaneously and experimentally discover how to parallel compute and do so across billions upon millions of processors. In totality, those processors de facto become a new supercomputer. The reason the parallel processing supercomputer scientist must be a polymath or a jack of several sciences is that to experimentally discover is to see something that was previously unseen, such as record supercomputer speeds that were previously unrecorded, or record the world's fastest computation that made the news headlines when I experimentally discovered it in 1989. But we see the unseen by understanding 
the misunderstood and understanding it with our intellectual eyes. We cannot understand the misunderstood with our biological eyes. Therefore, we cannot see the unseen with our biological eyes. And it takes several decades, not a few years, to gain the intellectual maturity that is needed to be a polymath that can see the previously unseen. And be a polymath that can counterintuitively see that parallel processing across a new internet that is a global network of processors is not a huge waste of everybody's time. Massively parallel supercomputing is about running a global circulation model in real time, not taking a lifetime to run and understand global warming. I experimentally discovered how to harness the total processing power of 2 to power 16 processors and how to use all 65,536 processors and use them to solve one of the most computation-intensive problems in large-scale computational fluid dynamics and solve them at the world's fastest speeds in computation. I reformulated that computation-intensive problem as an equivalent set of 64 binary thousand initial boundary value problems of calculus that had a one-to-one -one correspondence with as many processors of my new internet. For me, Philip Emma Aguale, I was a lone wolf at the farthest frontier of the then primitive technology of massively parallel processing. I was the only eyewitness with a front row seat where the new massively parallel supercomputer was invented. I experimentally discovered how and why parallel processing makes new computers faster and makes new supercomputers fastest. The reason I was at the farthest frontier of massively parallel processing across an internet was that I was searching for the universal in the particular and searching for the extraordinary in the ordinary. I was searching for the extraordinarily fast computation in the ordinarily slow multiplication and division. I was searching in the extraordinarily deep 16-dimensional hyperspace for the ordinary one binary million zeros and ones that defined the total 16-bit long addresses of my 2 to power 16 ordinary processors that outlined a new internet that is de facto a supercomputer. For the five years onward of June 20, 1974, I was a computational mathematician that focused on how to solve large-scale systems of equations of algebra. Large-scale algebra is the recurring decimal in large-scale computational physics. Two years after I began programming supercomputers, the June 14, 1976 issue of the computer world 
the flagship publication of the computer world carried a survey article that was titled, quote, Research in Parallel Processing Questioned as Waste of Time, unquote. My personal quest was for how and why parallel processing across a global network of processors makes new computers faster and makes new supercomputers fastest. Parallel processing was the holy grail of the then uncharted territory of new high-performance supercomputers. But back in 1976, or three decades after the programmable supercomputer was invented, supercomputer scientists still did not understand how to program across a global network of processors that is a new internet or program across a new internet that is a global network of computers. In the 1976 National Computer Conference that was held in New York City, a panel of supercomputer experts unanimously voted that supercomputing via parallel processing will forever remain a huge waste of everybody's time. There wasn't much hope in 1979 when I was writing and running codes for large-scale hydrodynamical models and executing those codes with fast computers that were in a computer center in the Foggy Bottom neighborhood of Washington, D.C., and a short walk from the White House. That computation-intensive problem was the motivation for my quest for how to parallel process across a new internet and compute faster within a supercomputer. In 1979, parallel processing across a small copy of the internet stood on a shaky ground. I was dismissed from my research team because I advocated computing in parallel. My interest in the architecture of the Cyber 205 arose from the fact that I programmed the technological ancestors of the Cyber 205, namely the CDC 3300 and the Cyber 73. I began programming the CDC 3300 on June 20, 1974. The CDC 3300 was manufactured by Control Data Corporation and marketed as the world's fastest computer and described as the world's first supercomputer. I began programming the CDC 3300 at the computer center at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Corvallis, Oregon, United States. In June 1974, I programmed the CDC 3300 supercomputer and programmed it from a teletype model 33ASR. The acronym ASR stands for Automatic Send Receive. I programmed the CDC 3300 from Monmouth, Oregon, and I used a telephone line to connect to the PDP-8 mini computer that I used as my satellite communications processor. In March 1975, I continued to use my teletype model 33ASR to connect to the upgraded and faster CDC 
3500 supercomputer. But I programmed the CDC 3500 from a teletypewriter that was inside Kida Hall that was 200 feet away from the computer center. Fast forward five years from Covalis, Oregon to Washington, D.C. I was staring at the Cyber 205 supercomputer. The Cyber 205 supercomputer came either in two vector pipelines or four vector pipelines configuration. For 64-bit calculations, the Cyber 205 supercomputer had a theoretical peak speed of 400 million floating-point arithmetical operations per second. That theoretical peak speed can only be attained when the Cyber 205 is used to execute handcrafted assembly codes. For 32-bit calculations, the theoretical peak speed of the Cyber 205 becomes 800 million floating-point arithmetical operations per second. My supercomputer research in parallel processing was rejected in November 1982 and was rejected as a research seminar talk in a conference auditorium that was a short walk from the White House, Washington, D.C. My parallel processing supercomputer research was rejected in May 1983 by the United States Geological Survey, based St. Louis, Mississippi. My parallel processing supercomputer discovery was rejected in 1983 and was rejected as my research report on how to compute across a global network of 64 binary thousand processors that is a small copy of the internet. My parallel processing supercomputer invention was rejected in September 1984 and was rejected as a hiring research lecture on modeling lake circulation and doing so across a global network of 64 binary thousand processors that is a small copy of the internet. My parallel processing supercomputer research was rejected in September 1984 and rejected by computational physicists at the Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory of the United States National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. My parallel processing supercomputer research was rejected in 1983 and rejected as a hiring interview by computational physicists at the David Taylor Model Basin, Bethesda, Maryland. David Taylor Model Basin was an early adopter of supercomputers. In the 1970s and 80s, parallel processing was dismissed as a beautiful theory that lacked experimental confirmation. My parallel processing research was rejected as a proposal to execute riverine, estuarine, and nearshore models and to execute them faster and across processors or in parallel. I was rejected, I was the rejected lone wolf programmer because computational physicists were heeding the warnings that it will forever remain impossible to harness the power of thousands of processors. In a syndicated article that was distributed on September 2, 1985, and distributed to the print media, and distributed by the United 
Press International or UPI. And in that article, John Roe Wagen, the president of Cray Research Incorporated, that was the company that manufactured seven in ten supercomputers, described his company's use of 64 processors as, quote, more than we bargained for, unquote. The answer to parallel processing supercomputing didn't come easy. The invention of the new parallel processing supercomputer demands big ideas and hard work. In supercomputing, the most coveted achievement by none is to discover how to record previously unrecorded speeds in fastest computations and most importantly and to record those speeds at all times and to record those speeds in an unconventional manner that is groundbreaking and to record those speeds in a paradigm shifting manner that changed the way the supercomputer scientist looks at the new supercomputer. The reason I went against convention in high-performance supercomputing of the 1970s was that I did a priori back-of-the-envelope calculations. My a priori calculations revealed that parallel processing across 65,536 processors will enable me to compress my time to solution so that the most computation-intensive problems that otherwise will take 65,536 days or 108 years of old sequential computing will then take only one day of new massively parallel supercomputing. My Eureka moment was my realization that such a speed up will be a paradigm shift in both new computational mathematics and new computational physics. That paradigm shift will open the door to an unknown world of supercomputing. That paradigm shift will enable our descendants to discover how to compress their time to solution for their large-scale problems in mathematics and physics. That paradigm shift will make it possible for a large-scale problem that formerly took one billion years to compute to take only one day of massively parallel supercomputing. My technological quest was for how and why parallel processing makes new computers faster and makes new supercomputers fastest. I began that quest on an old sequential processing supercomputer that was described as the first supercomputer. It was called the first supercomputer because it was the first computer that could record one million instructions per second. I began that quest on June 20, 1974, and I continued that quest on the then newly emerged vector processing supercomputer. In the 1970s, both scalar and vector processing supercomputers stood on solid grounds. However, the modern the vector processing supercomputer that is faster than the sequential processing supercomputer was not a revolutionary technology. The massively parallel processing supercomputer was the hoped-for revolutionary technology. 
in May 1979, I entered into the uncharted territory of large-scale computational fluid dynamics. I reached the frontier of computational fluid dynamics and reached it with fast computers that were located in the Foggy Bottom neighborhood of Northwest Washington, D.C. In the mid-1970s, I described myself as a mathematician and as an astronomer. In the late 1970s, I described myself as a computational physicist. In the late 1970s, I was living in room 877 of Meridian Hill Hall at the corner of 16th and Euclid Streets in the Adams Morgan neighborhood of Northwest Washington, D.C. My supercomputer research of the late 1970s was a personal quest to discover how to solve computation-intensive problems that arose in large-scale computational hydrodynamics. I used massively parallel supercomputers to solve the governing differential and algebraic equations that simulate the flow of water within oceans, estuaries, and rivers. I used new massively parallel supercomputers to solve the nine partial differential equations of calculus that I invented. I used new massively parallel supercomputers to simulate the flow of oil, water, and gas flowing underneath the surface of the earth. What made the news headlines was that I experimentally discovered how to simulate the motions of multi-phase flows flowing across porous media and how to simulate, simulate that flow across my internet. I visualized that new internet as a global network of 65,536 commodity off-the-shelf processors that we are married together as one cohesive whole new supercomputer and married together by 1,048,576 bidirectional regular and short email wires that were equal distances, afar and apart. As a computational hydrodynamicist, I used computers to compute the volume of water and the weight of suspended sediment loads that were flowing across a river. That, the knowledge that 197,000 400 cubic feet per second of water and sediment is discharged at a specific cross-section of the River Niger. It's needed and used to build a bridge across that cross-section of the River Niger. The sediment load of the River Niger at a cross-section is also computed and used to, to plan large-scale dredging of the River Niger. I can also compute the hydrostatic pressure forces or the forces due to water at rest. The hydrostatic pressure forces act on the upstream cross-section of the Kainji Dam of the River Niger. The hydrostatic pressure forces was created by the 500 square mile Lake Kainji that is upstream of the Kainji Dam. In the mid-1980s, I was in charge of the standard operating procedures of nine dams that were built and operated by the United States Bureau of Reclamation. The nine dams included Alcova Dam, Glendo Dam, and Pathfinder Dam. Each dam was on the North Platte River in Wyoming, United States. However, I got known in 1989 for my contributions 
to how to parallel compute large-scale subsurface and atmospheric computational fluid dynamics. The specific fluid dynamics applications across a new parallel across a new parallel processing supercomputer or across a new internet that I am known for. We are on how to recover oil and gas and how to forecast the weather and predict global warming. The reason my experimental discovery was the cover story of the May 1990 issue of the widely read Siam News, the flagship bi-monthly news journal of the Society of Industrial and Applied Mathematics was that I was a research large-scale computational mathematician who pushed the frontier of partial differential equations of calculus. I pushed the frontier of the calculus of porous media flow or of fluids that flow below the surface of the earth. I pushed the frontier of that calculus from parabolic to hyperbolic partial differential equations. I pushed the frontier of the algebra that arose from that calculus and pushed it from small-scale algebra to large-scale algebra. I pushed the frontier of arithmetic to the fastest floating-point arithmetical operations that can be executed across a new internet. I invented that internet as a global network of 65,536 processors that were equal distances afar and apart and that I visualized as a small copy of the internet. I also pushed the frontier of calculus and did so by a distance of 36 partial derivative terms that were not in any calculus textbooks and that can be used by the petroleum industry to recover otherwise unrecoverable oil and gas. I experimentally discovered how to solve the most large-scale system of equations of algebra that must be solved to recover otherwise unrecoverable oil and gas. I experimentally discovered how to execute the fastest floating point arithmetical operations for large-scale computations in science and engineering. The reason my experimental discoveries in supercomputing made the news headlines in 1989 was that I was a supercomputer scientist who pushed the frontiers of the most massively parallel supercomputer. And the reason physicists invited me to give lectures on my discoveries and give them to the upper echelons of large-scale computational physicists was that I pushed the frontiers of large-scale computational physics. I gave invited lectures to large-scale large computational physicists at the Ames Research Center of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, in California. I gave invited lectures to large-scale computational physicists at the Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico, the birthplace of the atomic bomb. I gave invited lectures to large-scale computational physicists in the research laboratory of the United States Geological Survey in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. The reason I programmed the most massively parallel supercomputers and programmed them alone was that I discovered that as a polymath or a multidisciplinary scientist, I could work alone 
and propel myself into the elite ranks of supercomputing wizardry. After 16 years of supercomputing on what of June 20, 1974, I realized that I had more experience of massively parallel supercomputers and that I knew how to solve large-scale systems of equations of algebra and solve them at unheard of speeds. Looking back, I devoted 200,000 hours of my life thinking about new massively parallel supercomputers which is a hundred thousand hours more than anybody else that I know did. And most importantly, my experimental discovery of massively parallel processing is one long, wide and deep story rather than, rather than one short article. So, as a research supercomputer scientist, I had to understand the laws of physics and understand them above and beyond the state-of-the-art knowledge of physics in textbooks. I had to understand calculus and algebra and understand them above and beyond the state-of-the-art knowledge of calculus, of calculus and algebra in textbooks. I had to have the deep understanding that informed me and enabled me to discover the century-old critical error that was in the system of coupled, nonlinear, and time-dependent partial differential equations that is the toughest problem in calculus that was used by the petroleum industry and used to recover otherwise unrecoverable oil and gas. Physically and a mile deep inside an oil field, the oil and gas flowing from water injection wells to nearby oil production wells was set and kept in motion by four forces, the temporal and the convective inertial forces. The pressure force, the viscous force, and the gravitational force. I mathematically discovered that for a century, the temporal and convective inertial forces were lost in the translations from physics to algebra to calculus and back to large-scale algebra and to the codes that had to be communicated and solved across a new internet that is a global network of equidistant processors. In the textbooks on initial boundary value problems on porous media flows, and in the textbooks on petroleum reservoir simulation codes, in those textbooks, a system of coupled, nonlinear, and time-dependent partial differential equations that is the toughest problem in calculus is used by the petroleum industry and used by ExxonMobil Corporation and used to construct their petroleum reservoir simulators. In each petroleum reservoir simulator, only three forces instead of four forces were encoded as partial derivative terms. In mathematical studies that I conducted in the early 1980s, I mathematically discovered that the fourth force, that was the sum of the temporal and the convective inertial forces, was missing and was not encoded into the partial differential equations used to recover otherwise unrecoverable oil and gas. And I corrected that error by inventing 36 partial derivative terms that arose from the second law of motion of physics that was discovered three centuries ago, three centuries and three decades ago. I corrected that error by restating the second law of motion of physics and doing so correctly. I correct 
corrected that error by restating the algebra and doing so correctly, namely by restating the iconic formula F equals MOA and restating it so that force equals mass times acceleration at all times and at all places within the petroleum reservoir simulator. F equals MOA is the algebraic restatement of the second law of motion of physics that I will restate later in calculus. I corrected that error by beginning from first principles, namely the second law of motion of physics. In the 1980s, I was logged on alone on the only supercomputer hopeful in the world that was powered by 65,536 processors. There was a digital divide with a twist. One black supercomputer scientist at the farthest frontier of supercomputing and 25,000 nearly all white programmers on the soon-to-be-obsolete conventional vector supercomputer side or at the margin of supercomputing. I was locked on alone for two reasons. First, black supercomputer programmers were socially isolated and programmed supercomputers alone. I didn't know any other black supercomputer wizards in the 1970s and 80s. I knew from the unanimous rejections that I received from white supercomputing teams that a black supercomputer wizard will most likely be programming supercomputers alone and as an outsider. As an outsider, the black supercomputer programmer will most likely be thinking outside the box. For this reason, the black supercomputer wizard is fearless and raw and brings a diversity of ideas that's missing in all white scientific teams and that each black supercomputer programmer will most likely be thinking outside the box. I will guess that about 25 of the 25,000 programmers were black Americans and that five sub-Saharan, five were black sub-Saharan Africans. As one in a thousand the black supercomputer programmers of the 1970s and 80s were scattered and didn't know each other. As I got known after 1989, I heard from a few black supercomputer programmers. Each black supercomputer scientist reconfirmed my theory that he worked alone he worked as a lone wolf. I'm a large-scale computational mathematician who became known for discovering how to solve the most computation-intensive problems arising in calculus and algebra and arithmetic and invented how to solve them across a small internet that's a global network of 64 binary thousand processors. That's a new supercomputer, de facto. I cannot describe equations that took me 16 years to develop in 60 minutes. Therefore, I've posted the details on my website, emmaagwale.com. I also shared the abstract and invincible parts of my mathematical discovery on a mathematics lecture that I delivered at the International Mathematics Congress, ICM 91, that's held 
once every four years. My ICM 91 lecture was at 11 a.m. Monday, July 8, 1991 in the Dover Room of the Washington Sheraton Hotel in Washington in the District of Columbia, United States. I was invited by a society of societies named the International Council on Industrial and Applied Mathematics. The council asked me to speak at one of the ICM 91 symposia of the International Congress of Industrial and Applied Mathematics that was a gathering of the who is who in the world of mathematics with many being at home with using partial differential equations of calculus to model and solve real-world problems such as general circulation modeling to foresee otherwise unforeseeable global climate change and petroleum reservoir simulation to recover otherwise unrecoverable oil and gas. To what myself from that lecture that I gave to the International Congress of Mathematicians on July 8, 1991. Quote, Under the laws of physics is the partial differential equations of calculus. Under the calculus is the system of equations of algebra. Under the algebra is a set of floating-point arithmetical operations. Electronically and automatically executing the floating-point arithmetical operations is a new internet that's a global network of 2 raised to power 16 or 64 binary thousand processors. Connecting to each commodity of the shelf processor is 16 pairs of bidirectional, regular, and short email wires that were equal distances afar and apart. Controlling that new internet as a cohesive whole unit that's a new massively parallel supercomputer that's comprised of two raised to power 16 processors that are married together by 16 times two raised to power 16 email wires is the new supercomputer wizard. I, Philip M. Aguale, was that new supercomputer scientist that was logged on alone to the only supercomputer powered by two raised to power 16 or 65,536 processors. The reason I am the cover story of today's June 8, 1991 issue of the destroyed free press is that I experimentally discovered that the most computation-intensive problem in large-scale computational physics could be divided into 65,536 less computation-intensive problems that I solved in each of my 65,536 processors and solved at the speed of 47,303 calculations per second per processor. The total speed of my new massively parallel supercomputer was the world's fastest computation. In theory, a new internet that is a global network of two raised to power 64 processors will compress 585 billion years of time to solution to just one second of time to solution. 
the grand challenge problem of extreme scaled computational physics that consumes only one second on that new 64 dimensional internet will take 42.3 times the age of the universe to compute on only one processor. That discovery in the 64th dimension is my contribution to the greater understanding of the upper limits of the supercomputer that computes in parallel. That discovery of how and why parallel processing makes the computer faster and makes the supercomputer fastest is my contribution to the development of the computer. The reason I, Philip Emma Aguale, was in the news headlines back in 1989 was because I discovered a new supercomputer that is not a new computer per se, but that is a new internet de facto. I'm Philip Emma Aguale. Let's keep our conversation alive at emmaaguale.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Philip Emma Aguale. Insightful and brilliant lecture. Insightful and brilliant lecture.